What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Before we dive into this week's interview, I wanted to give you all a quick heads up that the 2021 edition of CMX's Community Industry Report is now available. We had over 500 community professionals and teams participate in this survey, which aimed to answer questions like, what is the value of community to businesses and what are the most popular metrics used for measuring community? We looked at the impact of COVID-19 on communities and virtual events, and we dove into how community teams are investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and for the first time gathered data on the representation of different races and ethnicities in the community industry itself. There are loads of interesting insights in this report, and you can download it all for free today. Just head to cmxhub.com. Again, that's cmxhub.com, and you can download the report there. Today's interview is with Lolita Taub and Jesse Middleton, the co-founders of the Community Fund. It's a new venture fund that they started specifically to invest in community-driven companies. So any business where community is core to their product or core to their growth engine, that's who they're looking to invest in. They share exactly how they define a community-driven company. So how do they know that the company's legit investing in community and not just using it as a marketing term? They talk about the numbers and metrics they look for to know that a community is going to continue to grow and be worth investing in. And they share the opportunities that they're seeing in the space today and where they're looking to invest in community-driven companies. It's really interesting to hear directly from founders how they're thinking about the business value of community. There's lots of good stuff in this one. Let's dive in. All right. Awesome. Lolita, Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So uh, very excited for this conversation because I feel like it's kind of been just a hot conversation on Twitter and all the social platforms that we all participate in around, you know, the the value of community, uh, chief community officers, what does it mean for a business to be community driven? And oftentimes, you know, even on this show, it's, it's community professionals talking to community professionals about this. And we're kind of all just trying to figure out, you know, how do we really communicate the value of community to businesses? And we talk about like the growth of this industry, but you both have a very unique perspective as investors in this space. Uh, when you launched the community fund, I was very excited to see that come out. I've been like long, long awaiting, like even just to have a VC talk about community was exciting to me. But then to see a venture capital fund specifically focus on community driven companies, I was like, okay, that that is a sign that the industry is maturing and we are turning a corner here because people do not put money into things that they don't expect to return on. So with that context, very excited to dive in and learn more about both of you and why you started the fund and how you're thinking about investing in businesses that are community driven today and just learn more about what it looks like from an investor's point of view. Yeah, we're excited to talk about it. I mean, this is all we live and breathe and sleep with community, community driven companies. I sleep with community driven companies too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if we can break like what 150 uses of the word community in this in this conversation. Uh, that that's like a low bar, Jesse. You haven't listened to the show, have you? Oh my goodness. <laughs> the, uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm excited to talk about it as well. Look, we we do we we sleep we we breathe. We think about community as a core asset to the most successful companies over the next decade. And you, know, you mentioned it up front, but I think it's important to note not only do we think 
there will be value created in businesses that leverage community at their core. We think that value be outsized. Like we, we think those are going to be the best returners against their peers, you know, who maybe aren't as equally tied to creating value on both sides of the community equation. Yeah. And I think today was a great example. I think Reddit is now at six billion dollars in valuation mm-hmm. and as you, you're seeing companies like grow and and the valuations that they're carrying right airbnb peloton and they're all community driven companies and this is really exciting for venture capitalists because we want to make right. lots of money you're all just very and greedy so... and you just you just want to see the returns right <laughs> it is a numbers driven business this is true like we we were already you know we we as a firm so i i joined my partners at flybridge four and a half years ago. And, and we as a firm, we've been thinking about sort of how community drives success for probably a dozen years now. One of our biggest successes is a company called MongoDB, built off of you know an open source software community. Mm-hmm. But I think that what's been interesting over the last maybe five or six years is to be able to contextualize that and to sort of, you know, hindsight's 2020, the last decade was about social being a driver of the the biggest successes, the one-to-many conversations that some of the most successful brands in the world had. Right. As we looked back, we thought to ourselves, well, that's great if you're an awesome software company that's great at social media, all the platforms we chat on and how we met, um, you know, on Twitter, that's an awesome place to be, but that becomes table stakes today. And over the last six years or so, what has become clear is that the best performing businesses out there are the ones that create the many-to-many conversations. And so that is what, you know, open source software was many developers supporting many developers. That is what member driven businesses are uh, members supporting members as opposed to just the business, you know, communicating, you know, unidirectional. Yeah, we're already getting into it. and I have, I have a lot of questions on that front and, and how you're seeing kind of the evolution of space. But for those who aren't familiar with both of you and your work and the fund that you're running, would love to just hear a quick kind of background on where you're coming from and how you came to run this fund today. Sure. So I'll, I'll get started. My name is Lolita Taub and I am co-founder and GP at the Community Fund with Jesse. And long story short, we met on Twitter and decided to launch a fund because we both really believe we can make a lot of money in community-driven companies. Uh, I'll let Jesse expand on it. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. Listen, we, we, we met on one of those social platforms that I was just referring to. We came together around this topic, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, it's something that Lolita and I both you know, sort of live and breathe as we talked about. But I think the bigger thing was we had this desire as a firm over the last few years to not only invest in businesses that are sort of leveraging community at to, at their core for growth and retention and, and sort of better revenue. But we also wanted to focus on doing that ourselves. And so how do we expand our own communities to build a firm that is community forward, one that is thinking about this as a, as a value added asset. And so as Lolita and I met, it was over this idea that not only did she want to see like amazing groups of people, these communities of people who had maybe been underserved by the venture community have more access. But but there was also this idea that we believe that those people leveraging communities themselves would build really valuable businesses. And so there was this great moment where we were able to bring together our sort of, to your point, David, uh, our numbers driven, dollars driven, returns driven venture head. And to bring that together with somebody who was deeply passionate about creating community and empowering communities. And so it was it was sort of a it was serendipitous for for sure, 
and it did come together in the digital age amidst COVID. And so it's mm. we still haven't met each other in person. Really? We still have not met. I don't know how tall Jesse is. But... <laughs> I was just going to say, you have no idea how tall the other person is then. <laughs> I actually told Jesse, but it's okay. We will have everybody keep us a mystery how tall is Lolita. <laughs> Uh, no, but I, I think I think what Jesse's saying is is right. I, I think we saw a couple things. So if you look at the venture capital spectrum, uh, you see that there's a lot of homogeneity, and you're going to see a lot of the same deals. And so how can you expand that reach in the community to see the best founders that are coming up in a world where minorities are becoming the majority, where purchasing power is increasing, and all of these different buckets and, and communities. And, and, and then the traditional industry doesn't have access to. So it makes just this natural organic sense of, hey, let's put our money in the best founders out there. Let's make sure that we have that broader reach from a, a deal flow perspective, if we're thinking about it from a venture capital perspective. And then through that community-driven fund, be able to fund these community-driven companies. So it's, it's kind of a layered approach, but two separate things all at the same time. Right. There's the aspect of bringing together a fund that is community-driven within itself. Mm -hmm. And there's the aspect of we, because each investment partner and, and the process that we, we ran through was to identify the best investors out there who are also representative of many different communities mm -hmm. who have this expanded reach and then separately looking at these companies that are leveraging i think really honestly the best way of building a company and we are biased <laughs> and not all company i will disclose not or disclaim not every company needs to be community driven but i do believe when you look at sales right in my background i've been in in sales since I started my career and I'm going 14, 15 years in, in the industry, when you think about go-to-market, sales, distribution, we're talking about, hey, community managers need to be focused on what the business cares about, which is retention and growth. And how do you get that? You can throw a lot of ad dollars into the mix. You could also have this really awesome differentiator where you have a community that it could actually be your, your company or it could be a community around your product that allows you to do things like increase your retention, increase your, your lifetime value, increase your sales leads, all of these really awesome things and, and spread the word, start this sales marketing flywheel that would otherwise cost you a lot more money in a space where everybody's throwing money at Google. Right. Totally makes sense. So we're seeing this big trend of community-driven business, and it's become a big opportunity for a lot of investors, and a lot of companies are now speaking about how they're community-driven. So I'm curious to hear how you define a community-driven business. You know, this is a topic that's very popular now because community is hot and buzzy, and everyone's quick to slap community onto their marketing and can just call their customers uh, community. So how exactly do you define what qualifies as a community-driven company? We think of defining community-driven businesses in a couple different ways. I think one really important thing to note that Lolita mentioned earlier is not every business that's going to be successful needs to have community at its core. From our standpoint, though, it's a combination of a business model and plan and a founder's intention. And so a company could be community at the core of its business. I have a company in my portfolio called Chief. Our members are our business. Those people pay for the product, they engage in the product, they engage with each other, and it's led to really amazing growth even amidst COVID. The flip side is 
We have many companies where the founders are just deeply community-driven people. They come from this world. One example in the Flybridge portfolio is a company called Narrator, which is a data science as a service company. And the founder came from WeWork and was one of the leads of the data team and grew up sort of in community being really important in the business's growth. And even though it's a data science product, the intention is that the business is going to use a community of data scientists to create value. And so those people will give back IP and content and technology, and they'll gain value out of that. And so I think ultimately it could be either end of that spectrum that leads a company and a business model to fit into our thesis of community-driven. Yeah. And I think to to add to it, I think everybody can define community a different way. And in, in approaching this space, I think it's always really wise to ask, how do you define community? And for us, as Jesse mentioned, we have these different lovers. Personally, I'm always asking, does a company have customers that identify as members? Do these members have some way of creating value for each other and starting that marketing sales flywheel? Those are kind of the three elements that I'm always thinking about in when I meet a company and I'm thinking, does it fit our thesis or does it not? One example, we, we've made several investments in the community fund, but only a couple of them have gone public. So I'll talk about one of them, Healthy Roots. Healthy Roots produces children products. Uh, they've been really wildly known for a doll that they produce Zoe. And basically, Jalitza, the founder, has produced this doll with black curly hair, a black person's curly hair. And so the whole notion around this is bringing this multicultural community into the fold of kids' products and representation and so on and so forth. And they can be the next Barbie or the next American girl, if you think. That's how we think of them. The community aspect, they have this wonderful, they do have a wonderful following. So they have over 44,000 Instagram followers. They have over 43,000 on Facebook. But they have actually a Facebook group called Curl Friends. And they get together and it's moms and, and their daughters and just children getting together and doing hair stuff. And so where you can have the space where these customers are getting together, to me, is really special. And it starts this trend where they will bring others in and say, hey, look, I have this wonderful doll for my kid who can now see herself in, in the world out there and in children's products and dolls. And hey, let's get together and talk about our hair because that's a very um, important topic in a girl's life. And especially if you live in a world where products weren't necessarily made for you and or that there hasn't been representation in, in the markets out there. So that's just one example from our current portfolio. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's a great example what you said earlier about this kind of like dual investment thesis that you have of, of community-driven and focusing on underserved markets as well and bringing in investment partners who help you kind of broaden your range of perspectives and, and communities that you can reach. Because actually, if you think about it, where are the biggest opportunities for building community? Those opportunities often lie with groups that are underserved and don't have a space right now or aren't included in like the status quo or the norm, right? And so in a lot of ways, there's going to be a lot of community-driven companies coming out of uh, or being built by founders who just have an understanding of a group that's otherwise been 
underserved and not focused on in, in the world of business. Yeah. And, and just to top it off, right? That, I mean, I think what you're pointing out is really interesting and, and true. At the same time, when you look at the community uh, manager report, you pulled out so many with 68% mm-hmm. globally or white people in leadership positions, which is interesting because I do believe that there's this underserved market that, that has so much opportunity. But with the toy industry, going back to Healthy Roots, you may hear it and you may say, oh, this is culturally sensitive and da da da. But they're in this $36 billion plus market that's growing. And so it's not just like, oh, let's get together and be friends. There's an actual business to be had. And I think that's what for us as investors gets really exciting. It's that differentiation mode on the business side. And then we get to also see all of these communities flourish in a way where personally, I love to hear communities getting together to solve each other's problems and create a support network, especially because the timing couldn't be any better, right? Well, so many of us are suffering through and going through PTSD because of Corona or whatever it is. There's so many things that have gone on in the world that it's nice to be able to find your people, get the support and get the, the right products and services that you need. Absolutely. It's not just nice. It's it's turns out absolutely critical for humans to be happy. I'm curious what you look for in the communities that you're investing in or the companies that you're investing in. So, you know, with that as an example, looking at a Facebook group or looking at a space that the company is running, what are the things that you look for, whether it's metrics or signals or whatever it is that tells you that they actually have a real engaged quality community that you think is going to really grow into the future? There are quantitative and qualitative things we can see early on. And, and you know, this is much an art as it is a science. When we're talking about early stage companies, many of these businesses haven't made a dollar yet. You know, many of these businesses maybe pre-launch you know, or, or getting ready to launch their products. So I think on the qualitative side, We've talked about this concept internally that we've also shared in in our community playbook around the laptop sticker test. But this idea is, do you see some of the early adopters wearing this brand? Do we mean that physically, literally and digitally? When you look at some of those early chief members and you search LinkedIn, you see people have this on their profile right next to their job title as SVP of some massive Fortune 100 company in their Harvard Business School degree. They're listing themselves as a founding chief member. The other side, when we were at WeWork, one of the things we saw is people wearing those WeWork stickers and that WeWork swag, right? They wore a sweatshirt. I walk down the streets in New York still to this day, and there isn't a day that goes by that I don't pass somebody wearing a WeWork hoodie or somebody with a WeWork sticker on their laptop. And that was the case when we were 300 members. That was the case when we were 300,000 members. And so I think that those are both qualitative. On the quantitative side, we really look at an early and engaged audience. So you can think about it as daily active or weekly active users. One thing that Lolita brought up earlier is, you know, in Healthy Roots, it's that they have a Facebook group. Your community could be anywhere. It should be wherever they're getting the value. So if it's a Facebook group that they're all coalescing, great. You know, if it's a Slack channel, awesome. We've had other other people build their own community platforms, which I don't necessarily recommend early on for a pre-seed company. It's quite costly and maybe not the best use of funds. But in all of those cases, what you see are people that are not only engaged on a regular basis, and depending on the community, that could be as often as daily, but they're engaged 
with not just the company, but with each other. And so you see people uplifting each other in those conversations. Hopefully all the communities and companies we're investing in lead to positive benefits in the world, not negative. There are examples of community-driven platforms that have been wildly successful that I personally believe may be more negative for the world. But in the positive sense, people are uplifting each other. They're driving value and supporting each other. And you can see this, whether it's a technical company and it's developers helping developers or data scientists helping data scientists, but it's super clear when you see humans helping humans, right? So Healthy Roots being a good example, it's moms supporting other moms through their journeys as, as mothers, as spouses, as uh, people in the workforce who are dealing with their children in a world that is likely not totally a known quantity yet, right? Things are changing. And so you can see that in the best companies, even when there's 10 people, you don't need millions of people in that community in order to see that value happening. And that is measurable. You can see the amount of conversations that are happening. I think what I would add to that from a more metrics perspective is I am looking at how big is your community and how is it growing? And it depends, right? Depending on the stage of the company, it may be that they're in full beta mode or it's a closed pilot and they have a smaller community and different companies will approach it differently. But I am looking at what's the size, what's the retention. So, you know, in, in kind of doing full circle loop on, on what's important, the metrics, a lot of the time it's retention and growth. So what, what is that direction that these companies are heading in with their communities in terms of growth? But also you, you're then, talking about retention of customers or of community members? Both, or both? both right? Both. Because in, in a model where it's community driven, then your customers are community members. And you can have these dual metrics. But at the end of the day, if you can tie, if you're community driven, and you're leveraging your community to both serve them, customer service. You could do so many different things and it could really depend. I think the metrics are really contingent on how the founder and the startup is set up and what they're focused on because there's different metrics that you can look at. But personally, I'm very interested in, in the retention and growth and how and those interactions as well as how those tie in with if they're already producing revenue. How is that being impacted? And so you see these community-driven companies who are focused on those ties and being able to say, look, because of our community, we've been able to decrease our customer acquisition cost. And we can see this because we were this way before, before we did this with the community and after. And so it, it becomes a little bit harder to completely close the loop and tie the community with net customer revenue and things like that. But if you build a, com a community-driven company and from the start are thinking, how do we tie it? There's ways of kind of figuring out the influence of one over the other. But a, a quick way is really in noticing is you have, you're, you're looking at the traffic that is being brought in from your community to your, to your website. Another company that's also public that we invested in is Dame. They go by Dame Products and they're in the pleasure sector of the world. And they have this huge community on the social platforms. They have over 70,000 followers on Instagram. And then within their community, close community, it's in the tens of thousands. And so when you drive this engagement and you see, hey, they're not just customers, they join the community and now they're bringing in more, or you can see that their, their spend when they come and visit increases. That's really neat. Another thing that I've seen companies do is use referral programs. 
and they're they're closely tied and they're keeping those metrics closely tied with their community. And there's just different variations of ways. I don't think that there's like a standard set. It definitely depends on where the company's at and how the founder is focusing on being community driven because there's definitely different levers. Right. That makes sense. I'm curious where you think about the the community team itself and, and the operational elements of community. Do you look at community headcount or how they've structured a community team within the organization as an indicator of, of being community driven? We're fairly early stage investors. And so often when we're investing, there is no such thing as a community team. In fact, they probably don't have much of a team at all. So I think... Well, there should be, Jesse. It should be their very first hire. That's absolutely right. It should be their first hire. Um, the I think what we do see, though, is that role of being head of community is embedded into one of the founders or all of the founders. So one thing that's super easy to spot I mentioned this earlier, is that sometimes companies are really community-driven themselves. Other times, it's the founders who are driving the community first. And I think it's in the latter version, it's usually really quick to spot when you're talking to a founder. If they're kind of coming from this idea that community is going to drive their success, they usually are bringing their own existing community to the table. Again, it may be a small community to begin with. We've looked at companies where they have 30 or 50 people engaged, but they're really highly engaged. Those people are helping to drive some of the early product decisions. They're helping to drive sometimes brand decisions. And so I think that's one thing that you can sort of think about in in lieu of having a full team as we invest a little bit later stage and if you're thinking about it as a company you might be a little bit further along with the team i think the thing that's become clear is community has to be embedded across the leadership of the company and so community drives growth in the marketing department community drives retention when it comes to product decisions it drives turn when it comes to customer service hopefully decreasing churn. Um, And so it should be embedded in all of those departments, KPIs, and it should also be embedded in their processes. And so while I do think that there's a role for chief community officer, head of community, or a community team who maybe drives some of those values and, and implementations, we do see in the most successful companies that is pervasive across the sort of organization. Yeah. And to be honest, personally, I do think that there's different points of view on this topic. Do we have an entire team or is it a founder thing? Is it linked to the C-suite or is it under marketing and does it work or does it not? And there's a lot of open questions there. My personal preference, especially when we're looking at pre-seed seed companies, is that the founder be a community builder themselves. Similar to how when we were looking at our investment partner team and, and putting it together, we were looking for those community builders, community leaders, because we want our founders to have that DNA of building community and it not be an afterthought, which I think traditionally, especially, you know, and and again, referring back to your report, it does seem that a lot of companies, especially as they get bigger, they see this as something that is a marketing activity. Mm -hmm. And I do agree with your report and that this is something that should be at a higher level of priority because this is a differentiation moat that that many have not taken as seriously as I think they really should, because this is, I think, the the best way to to build a successful business. And and for us, um, just to reiterate what Jesse said, our our founders are so, they're so early in their state, in their their journey, that the teams are as small as they are. 
And we just want them to be community builders. Yeah, I, I was thinking, well, well, Lolita was just saying there, you know, I'll say something a little bit tongue in cheek, but like community builders spot community builders, community sees community, and it's by design. Great community leaders are amazing at that many to many interaction. And that is what we want our partners at the community fund to spot in the founders that they're backing as well. Those who are great at many to many interactions. Yeah. We're usually the ones running across the room with a box of pizza and a six pack of beer and trying to get someone help on their name tag and running all around the room. You can spot the community builder. Even when you're not in charge of name tags. <laughs> yeah. Like there weren't even name tags at the event. You brought them to the yeah. event. <laughs> Somebody shows up bringing their own name tags to everybody. That's a community builder I want to get to know. I always have a set of name tags in my pocket. You know, you never know. You never know. Uh, remember when we actually needed name tag? I'm going to start wearing name tags to my Zoom meetings. And just... Hi, I'm David. What, what you need to do is wear a name tag that's different from the name in the Zoom uh, panel, though, and just really Ooh. create confusion. Really confuse everyone. I like that. Um, so as, as a team grows, it sounds like, you know, let's say the team, the companies you're investing in, they're growing and they start to create more structure. You believe that community should be its own department, not necessarily live under marketing. Yeah. I, I would have to say that that is going to be the future. I think we're a little early. I, I honestly believe that for many companies at this moment in time, if they were to build their own community department and let them run wild. Um, they may not see the value that they hope to get out of it. In part, that's because there's a lack of tooling and platforms and analytics behind this concept. And there are companies out there that are helping to solve that. But I mean, that's been only the last 12 to maybe 18 months that those things have really come to the light. Right. And so I think the future, though, will be that community is its own pillar in a business, just like sales should be just like marketing should be and just like finance has to be. And so I, I, I think it will be as equally as valuable in the best businesses in the world. I'm curious to get your take on this. I had an interesting conversation the other day with a director of finance who is basically saying like, look, the CEO has to go to their investors and they have to show them their P&L statement, their profits and, lo profits and loss and their chart of accounts. And they have to say, okay, you know, here's where the money's coming in. Here are the expenses. Here's our cost of customer acquisition. And the investors are going to really care about that CAC number, right? Like how much does it cost to acquire a, a customer? And most things in business fit pretty neatly under, okay, this is marketing. This is product. This is sales. This is R&D. This is operations. And community kind of presents this like accounting challenge <laughs> in that, investors don't have a great way to put that into their formula because yes, you know, exactly to your point, Lolita, like it can reduce the cost of customer acquisition. It can greatly increase how many new customers you're able to attract and onboard, right? We talk a lot about the power of community to help you grow your business, but that's not all it does. It can also help you retain customers and you're also getting feedback on your product that's going into R&D and it's helping your your company culturally. So it's kind of under like people operations. So it's it's an interesting role that like sits like we said, you know, in, in its own department, but impacts all these other areas. And part of the challenge is that, like, there's just not a way to really account for that right now, unless you were to kind of, like, split it up into slices and say, well, we'll attribute 30% of community into cost of customer acquisition and 30% into R&D or something. So I thought it was, like, such a unique perspective on this challenge of, like, bringing community into 
the business mix? And I'm curious to hear what your thought is it as on it as investors. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, and we could do an entire course on each one of those metrics that you talked about, whether it's CAC, whether it's churn, and how community applies. I would say two things to founders. One is I really can appreciate a founder from the earliest stage who talks about things like fully loaded CAC. It's so common to see founders talk about CAC as like paid marketing spend in a silo. I love when they blend that across what is the cost of organic, what is the cost of people, what is the cost of producing the content, all of that spread across you know every dollar of revenue or every user that comes in. By doing that, you also embed some of your community costs in there if you do have a community manager. The likely right way to do it, and if I were an accountant, is what you were saying. It's probably to spread the cost somewhat evenly across each of those areas, and, and that's how you get to a good fully loaded CAC number. I would challenge a founder, though, is building an amazing business. Listen, count the cost twice. That's how valuable I think that community is. I, I think take that community person and spread them across all new customers and fully loaded CAC. Take that same community person and spread them across the cost to retain customers and to decrease churn and the same thing to increase LTV. Yeah, it sets a bit of a higher bar, but when you come under scrutiny, nobody can argue that this person is being valuable three times over and therefore they shouldn't exist in the business. So I just think, you know, founders should be thoughtful about where they spend dollars on all human capital. In this particular case, I do believe that with the right tools and platforms and analytics tied to this, there is a way to actually account for the value of that community person, not just the cost of them. And we're seeing it happening in companies at great scale. There are public companies out there spending tens of millions of dollars on community teams and events and everything else that falls under that bucket. And they're soaring in the public markets and not just post-COVID where all the companies are soaring, but they were doing well already. Right. I mean, Airbnb is one of the prime examples, right? I, I forget what the number was. They mentioned community in their IPO statement like over 100 times. And Peloton, by the way. Yeah. I just talked to one of my best friends who had one of the infamous Peloton challenges. A bike was supposed to be delivered today, didn't show up. Nobody at customer service knew what happened. This is a company who's an enormously successful business who leverages community in massive ways. And you know what happens when that customer is unhappy? They call customer service. At some point, the problem gets fixed. But they actually go online and they talk to other Peloton members. And they get ha they become happier. Somebody said, you know what, let's just use the app today and work out together. That's an incredibly powerful tool for a many billion dollar public company to have at their disposal. And what is the cost of that? It's minimal compared to the cost of delivering, you know, hundreds of thousands of physical bikes around the world. I'm actually really curious to see how we evolve and, and how we account for the value, uh, because I think we're just at the beginning. And with early stage companies, it's, it looks a little bit different once you're, you're in a mature, very huge company. But I do think that one thing that'll be sticky and we'll hear more of is this, this community return on investment. And I do believe initially there will be a need for standardizing what exactly this means. But I think that the Flybridge team, I think, did a really great job in, in putting a formula together around, you know, you, you take the, the value gained minus the cost and divided by the cost. And here's one version of, of how you can equate to that community return on investment. I do think that we need to quantify it. If you think about here's how much and, and I think about this every day. I run a, a sales team during the day because, you know, 
who doesn't? Um, and why shouldn't you have two full time jobs? <laughs> well, it's just, Sorry, I do have. Yeah. So for the, the people who are listening, you're like, wait, I thought you, you ran a fund. Yes, I do. But I also run a sales team. And every day I'm thinking about top of the funnel. How am I going to increase uh, qualified leads? so that my account executives can close deals, so that my account managers can then um, retain and grow these accounts. This is something I'm constantly thinking about. And believe me, when you go up to a business and you say, I can help you grow in, in a J curve, and, and you just say, like, just let me add it, and you prove it with community, I don't think anyone's gonna be saying anything about how or where community fits. Totally. I had uh, Mary Thangval on the show not too long ago, and we talked about community qualified leads as as an interesting metric that I think will become more prominent because I love it. It's a touch point, like everything else, right? Like you can you you can and should be able to look in Salesforce, see exactly how many deals you closed, how many opportunities you had, how many prospects, how many leads, and and see what all the community touch points were with those people, whether they came to an event, they participated in your online community, whatever it is, it's another really powerful touch point in the sales journey. And another thing is, I mean, we're just talking about sales because money is all I think about apparently, but there's also like the product side. <laughs> I just want to, I want to clarify that because uh, you keep making this joke, but I know both of you are like extremely community people driven. We like humans, money too, guys. So, so don't get confused. No, <laughs> um, no but uh, on the product side, right? When you think about community and, and what the community can offer, you're thinking about how does a company look at the community team or the community impact product you want people to tell you what's right, what's wrong, how to make it better, how to sell more of it. Right. And the best way is by people literally telling you that. And you have typically in a community, if you set it up right, you have people who will tell you literally this sucks because of this, or they'll say, oh my gosh, this is the best thing since sliced bread and I'm going to tell all my friends. And they become you know, the fans that, that help propel even that many more leads for you. So I think from the product side, from the, from the sales side, so many different angles that community um, driven companies really touch on and, and, and help companies grow. Agreed. Awesome. So curious now what, what you're looking at in this space, like where do you see the biggest opportunities for founders to be building community driven companies? And what, what kind of companies are you really looking to invest in right now? I love the, the thesis of community driven because it's specific enough, but it applies across all sectors and industries. For me personally, love to look at companies that are at the cross-section of community-driven and companies that are founded by underestimated founders or serving underserved markets. I think there's so much opportunity there, so much money to be made, and really awesome founders to back, and I'm here for it. Yeah, and like Lolita said, I, I think community-driven businesses can come in all shapes and sizes. I talked about it at the beginning of of our conversation, but they could be enterprise businesses, B2B, they could be B2C, um, and sort of everything in between. Personally, I've been really interested over the last year or so in how technology-enabled human businesses can change big industries. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of problems that exist in this world that really aren't ready to be solved by computers alone but technology can give people superpowers. And so if you think about in the case of, you know, somebody dealing with their finances, you may apply technology to make somebody who is a really bright uh, money manager 10 times more efficient. 
And that person can then do 10 times more for the world. They can work with 10 times as many customers or users. They can provide 10 times as much value. And there's this really interesting intersection between the humans that can have technology sort of applied with them and community members. Your community can exist where both the experts and the consumers live in one space. And I have this in a Flybridge portfolio company called Teal, which is people helping others enable growth in their careers. And I don't think anybody on this show that's listening nor on this conversation that we're having would be very comfortable putting our entire careers in the hands of a computer tomorrow. But we are very interested in having really smart people help to guide us. How do I get that promotion? How do I work on something that I feel more passionate about or work for a company I care more about? And what we've seen at Teal are thousands of people living in the Slack community that they have where they're the experts, they're the people trying to advance their careers. And then as soon as you get a promotion, you're now a part of the conversation and helping the next 10 people get a promotion. And they can build tools all day long that help to support that. But it really is people at the center of that business. Love that. And hey, you said, you know, the companies that are early stage, they can't maybe have a community team yet, but they, they got Eric Martin over there, chief community officer. He's, he's OG community. He knows what's, what he's doing. So great example of a community-driven company. And I know, I know they're going to build an incredible community team because they already started with someone like Eric. I've been fortunate to have had the chance to know Eric for many years. He was a member in one of our original WeWork buildings when he was a GM of Reddit, for those who are listening who don't know who he is. And then he wound up joining us at WeWork to help to lead digital community for WeWork and then left and ultimately we convinced him to join Teal early on uh, when when Dave Banos started that company. But one of my favorite things that Eric ever did was joined us for one of our annual meetings and shared this whole story about the very first corporation, the very first company that had shareholders, the East India Trading Company, and how not a whole lot's changed since that day in the world of capitalistic uh, ventures, including venture capital businesses. And it is, as you said earlier, It's about the numbers. At the end of the day, everything we're talking about, community, marketing efforts, customer service efforts, all of these things lead to a better business, which means more dollars, more users, more engagement, more revenue. And that is how we'll ultimately be measured as a fund will be return on investment, right? IRR and hopefully eventually dollars paid out. I love that. Awesome. Well, on that note, I think we're ready for our rapid fire question round everyone's favorite part of the show. And this is the first time I'm doing it with two guests, so we're going to have to go extra rapid fire. Are you ready for this? Maybe we'll just finish Finish each each other's other's sentences here. Sandwiches. Sandwiches. Uh, Okay, well, let's dive in. I'm going to keep this brief. We're only going to do uh, five questions because we got two of you. All right, ready? First question, what's your favorite book to give as a gift to others? Good night stories for rebel girls. I love it. Never split the difference is my current business favorite. So we got business and is that an actual like story time book, like a nighttime story time book? <laughs> yeah, it's good for for making sure people know women can do great things. I, I actually sent a copy to Jesse for his son. See, I think every kid should have these kind of... That's awesome. I want a copy for my son. See, yeah, maybe just send me your address. That's the book I always love to give to everybody. Yeah, this is a good question for me to ask, because then I can just be like, I want that gift. Give it to me. (laughs) Okay, love it. Okay, second question. Uh, Who's an up-and-coming community builder that you recommend we all follow? 
Um, for me, it's Ray and Anita at the Grand. Uh, they are helping. Yeah, if you don't know about them, they they're building the Grand. They're helping people navigate through different milestones in their life, and I think that's awesome. That's what we need more of. I love that recommendation. I, I've participated in two Grand sessions. One was around having a kid before we had our baby, um, and it's it's really their their program. For those who don't know, they bring in a Grand Guide who's someone from an older generation to help facilitate the discussion amongst the group. So they're kind of like have this intergenerational component of it. And I went to another one for mos modern masculinity and like both of them were just like two of the most high quality conversations I've had in a long time. So great, Woo! great recommendation. I like it. All right, Jesse, you got to top that. <laughs> I don't think I can top that, but I, I mentioned him earlier, but David Fano from Teal I mean, Teal's mission is to help every single person in the world work on things that they care about and better themselves professionally. And if he's successful, we're all going to be happier and better off for it. Love it. Awesome. All right, next question. What's a community building lesson that has always stuck with you? Yeah, for me, it's authenticity and a sense of belonging are two ingredients you must have in a community. Something I thought about early on when we were building WeWork is that while the customer is not always right, I believe the community is. Ooh, wait, I gotta. Oh, that's I gotta. That's something to think through. Yeah, dig into that. Digest it. Wait, why? Say more. I think that individuals have demands for their own benefit, typically, and it could be groups of people that need something different from you as a company. They need a different feature. Uh, they need a different function. But I think the community as a whole has a tendency to come together around common goals. And so this is the benefit of many-to-many -many connections. You don't wind up typically with a single voice who sort of gets everybody else to rally around them. You usually wind up with multiple people sort of journeying together to getting to a demand, if you will. That's a really good quote. I'm going to store that it's one. It's tweetable. That's very we need tweetable. To tweet I'm say that. That's tweetable. You better tweet it before I quote tweet no, you. No, I, I want to be quote tweeted. I'm good. <laughs> 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 Love it. Okay. Uh, next question. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? Mm. Jesse, you want to go first? Yeah, for me, I was, I was a hacker when I was in middle school and high school doing many things that I'm not even sure I could talk about live, still breaking into a lot of things. But the hacker community is one of those things where as illegal as many of the activities are, it's a highly connected diverse and caring community people support each other through all of their crazy and as i said sometimes illegal endeavors <laughs> that's weird but, but jesse did not do anything illegal <laughs> nothing illegal uh, nothing, nothing nothing to see here i was suspended from high school for computer hacking but so. that's that's like high school rule breaking that's normal that's good <laughs> <laughs> okay so for me i couldn't think of the weirdest but definitely different. So um, maybe like seven years ago, I went and lived in Burkina Faso as part of a Peace Corps experience. And I lived in indigenous area with a family in mud huts. Mm -hmm. We ate mostly just things that were made out of millet. And I had one dad, two moms, and the whole family living together. They did not speak English. They spoke a dialect. 
And being part of that community was so interesting because I got to learn so much about community. I mean, when Jesse asked me or anybody has asked me, like, where did you start your community journey? It started because I needed a community to survive, to eat and to move forward. And that experience at Burkina Faso was just so interesting. And also the influence of, of the French who came into the country, right? So we had like millet balls of like millet with water and and a baguette <laughs> and so super interesting and i mean honestly at the foundation of community is serving human needs and helping us survive and and get to that next whatever that next is for us I'm curious what was there anything you learned from that community experience that you think is important for community builders today to keep in mind because it feels like that that kind of experience feels wholly different in many ways than a lot of the communities we just talked about for the last hour. <laughs> just thought I'd throw in some different type of community. I, lo no, that's, <laughs> I think that's where we need to be learning from and keeping in mind so we don't get disconnected from true authentic community when we're talking about building these like large-scale tech-driven communities. So I'm curious if anything stood out to you there. Yeah, I, I think it's going back to the basics of what community is all about, what, why community even is a thing from many, many, many hundreds, thousands of years back. And it's all a really about survival, um, but it's all around having aligned values. And I know oftentimes this is something that every community, anyone will tell you about. Let's have a clear vision and mission and values. But I think sometimes it gets dismissed. And when you're in a situation or an environment with like the, the people of Burkina Faso, um, it, I, I, I personally saw it. You know, the reason why I had two moms, the reason why there was one dad and the whole family's living together, there's specific values that they all align with. And that's how they survive. That's how they divide and conquer. That's how they, you know, ex support the community. And, and, I, and I think those are the rudimentary things that maybe we shouldn't take for granted as we're building community. It really is about lending each other a hand and solving problems or achieving goals together while being values aligned. Love it. All right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world for how to live, what would that advice be? If anybody's known me since the early days of WeWork, there's a line that they may find tacky, but it's completely true and it's do what you love. I think that there are businesses, there are things you could be doing in any corner of the world. There are sectors you could be working in that cover basically every category of human interest. And I think that people should focus on the things that they really enjoy doing. It's not that it won't always not feel like work as the line goes, that sometimes it does feel like work, but I do think that where you'll put out the most positive energy and you'll have the biggest impact is in working on things that you love. I love it, because mine actually has something like that in there as well. So for me is first, face your fears, do what you love, and live the life you wanna live so important sometimes it's the toughest thing to look at ourselves in the mirror and just really have a good talk about what what's really important what we're really about and going out there and doing stuff even though you might be a little scared but it's the right thing because it's aligned with your values and then just doing what you love what jesse said i, I think it's so important we only have one life and if you're going to live it it's worth just doing the things that make most sense to you 
and that last part of, of living the life you want to live, I think one of the top uh, complaints that people have on their deathbed is I lived a life that was in alignment with what my friends, my family, my you know, fill in the blank wanted me to have. And I missed out on so many things. And if I could do it over again, I would just do what I really wanted to do. So it takes courage, but you know, face your fears mm -hmm. and do what you love. I think we're both better at tweet storms than we are at tweets, but still. <laughs> Those yeah. are long tweets, but I'll allow it. It's it's a it's a guideline, not a rule. But I like that. And I think it, it takes a lot of reflection to identify what you love and the life that you want to live, right? Like I think it's something I've learned is sometimes I think I'm doing what I want to do, but not recognizing how much other people's expectations are influencing it. And that just takes a lot of trial and error and reflection and meditation and just exploration. It's, it's not something that's a, like, whenever I hear advice like that, I, I'm like, yes, definitely. But like, what the hell do I want? <laughs> like, I think something that's really important because I do think it's tough. It sounds so simple, but it's actually the toughest thing. And I think giving yourself grace for anyone listening, trying to figure out what do I want to do when I grow up? I don't think that question's ever completely answered to our satisfaction. So I think accepting that is important, but also just knowing that as we are growing, we're evolving and what we want to do with our lives may be changing and that's okay. We're allowed to change our minds and just change directions. And that's cool because that's what you want to do. And that's cool. Love it. Well, I think a lot of people listening to this show want to go on to become investors in community builders and community programs. So both of you are setting a very good example for others out there. And like I said, seeing seeing you launch a community fund and seeing how you're thinking about investing in community-driven companies was like music to my ears and just made me really happy. And I'm really excited about what you're both building and really you know proud to, to be in your corner and uh, I think it's going to set an example for a lot of other investors out there. It's also validation for all the founders and community builders who have been working on companies like this for the last 10 years and haven't always seen investment and haven't always had buy-in. Just seeing what you are both working on gives them validation that like, this is a real opportunity. This is a real industry and my work is valued and important. So just want to express gratitude for everything that you're both doing and, and the example you're setting and can't wait to see how it continues to grow and evolve. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us, David. This was a lot of fun. And yes, I love anyone who's building community. If you have questions on Twitter, I'm at Lolita Taub. And also, by the way, just quick plug in. We will be opening up applications for investment partners later in the year. So if you want to just stay tuned, follow along at the community VC on Twitter, we'll share some more information later in the year. That sounds awesome. And Jesse, where can everyone go to follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sarcasm, S-R-C-A-S-M. And I'm pretty active there. My DMs are open. Love the Twitter handle, by the way. That's, that was a way to secure <laughs> that one early. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.